Greetings. Welcome to Space Court. Space Court. Space Court. Space Court. We invite you to join us as we continue the second part of the two-part discourse on Vedic Astrology. We would like to introduce you to Vedic Astrologer, Seth Cassidy. In Vedic Astrology, Aries Sun, Pisces Moon, Scorpio Rising. I think from that cycle what you can glean is, yes, we're in darker times. I think that's one way to phrase it. And then the other thing to know is that we are on the ascending arc, where we're actually progressing back toward a higher civilization. But I think it also puts it in perspective that this dawning of the age of Aquarius or whatever this may be is not right around the corner. That this is something that we're looking at. I mean, yes, there will be improvements, probably also with great collapses in the process. But I think we're looking at at least a 10,000 year journey back to the apex of the highest advanced cultural times. Have you read the Hather material? The what? The mentioned? Hather material? I don't know. I don't, it doesn't resonate or oh. ring a bell. We would like to introduce you to Catherine. In Vedic astrology, Aries Sun, Virgo Moon, Capricorn Rising. I just read it a couple weeks ago. I just finished uh, it. Hathor? Hathor, yeah. They yeah. talk a lot about like ancient civilizations and stuff, but yeah. they're like these beings that are kind of like watching over Earth. Mm. What they say in the book is that we're like going into the fourth dimension. Humans on Earth are going to ascend into the fourth dimension, but they have no idea what that's going to look like or how that's going to happen, that transition. Mm -hmm. So like all of these other beings from other dimensions are like watching mm. Earth with like popcorn. Like, what's going on here? Oh, you so know? they're not necessarily, like, supporting our journey. They're just kind of, like, observing it. They're observing. So they're being witnesses to <coughs> the but process. But they also channel. They're supporting our journey through, cha like, using like whispering, people like. as channels to give them all of this knowledge, like, from ancient cultures and, like, the mm -hmm. Pleiadians or, like, Lemurians, the Atlantis, you know. Yeah, it's a stretch, but I love a good stretch. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, there's something about it that's appealing. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm super skeptical of all these kinds of books, you know, that are channeled, but whatever. But it's it fun. felt really true yeah. when I was reading it. I, and they said it, like, just feel in your body, your reaction, like, is so does this feel true? Yeah. And I was like, it sure that's does. Wow. feels true to me. My inner skeptic comes up with these kinds of things, as you just mentioned. I'm such a pragmatist, honestly, and I think maybe that's what makes me semi-unique in the astrological world. I mean, there's definitely other people that are like this, too. But I, I'm very empirical, and I look for evidence for everything. And that's you, good. And you can yeah, do that with great. astrology. That's the bridge. We would like to introduce you to Rachel. In Vedic Astrology, Cancer Sun, Gemini Moon, Taurus Rising. You're taking it to a historical and cultural sense and all of a sudden astrology has more meaning to me because I'm like, oh, it's connected to old ancient things from other places that like built their civilization on yeah. it. Like, But the knowledge that's been handed down is not always applicable to, to modern times and you have to reinterpret it. And so rules that you'll read from ancient texts, there's all kinds of silly things in the way that the Vedic texts are written um, yeah so like Vedic astrology like I take things personally and like a lot of what Vedic astrology says about my chart is very upsetting we would like to introduce you to say in Vedic astrology Gemini Sun 
Sagittarius Moon, Virgo Rising. For example, I have Mars in Cancer, uh -huh. and in Vedic Astrology, that's like, oh shit, you have Mars in Cancer, like that's You're like doomed. the worst. Maybe, yeah. maybe not, depends. But like... Could be canceled. In... Debilitation, cancellation rules abound, so there, you may or may not have a debilitated Mars. Mars in Cancer is debilitated, it's Nietzsche, it's fallen. So that's what they call it, N-E-E-C-H-A. But it's not always what it appears to be. Like if the lord of the sign in which that debilitated planet is placed is exalted or placed in its own sign, yeah, or so if they luckily, exchange it's in signs my or something house, like so that. I'm like, Phew. Well, it's angular to that. that. Yeah, you do have that. Right, but and so it's that's... aspected to your sun. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and being angular is one of the criteria too for many of the debilitation cancellation rules. So it may very well be uh, canceled in your. But you have to this is, you have to put it to the test and you have to see what does you'd have to read what does a debilitated Mars in the tenth house look like and then what does a not debilitated Mars in the 10th house look like and which or one came to like. be true for you. I'm trying to use music yeah. to like understand planets or the houses. I, I'm, like what the I'm essences of them. To that, yeah. I'm actually a very visual person and I had thought that you know all these texts are black and white you know like just very verbose. She's working on some texts. But it'd be good to have the visuals I think Maybe. in, in your, your the cards. Yeah. And you're an auditory kind of learner it sounds like or you mm -hmm. like associate yeah, things through, exactly. through sound. Yeah. She is very auditory. Yeah. So we need we I think we do need to reteach this material in the different mediums yeah, that they're the received. Different mediums, exactly, yeah, exactly. That to, just to appeal to different types of learning styles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is nice again to hear you have a different learning style mm -hmm. and teaching style. You know, I think they're synonymous. Like when you open up with like I'm not a professional, I'm not an expert. Yeah. You sound you're like a student. An expert. You're a student and you're a good student, yeah. you know? And good students are often good teachers. Like there is a gift that a is humble very, expert. Yeah. I mean, well, it's the rotation as, as of well give and as, receive. Well, as deep, as I said, and I can't help but to feel like the ancient rishis who first delivered this knowledge to the world would probably be rolling over in their graves right now listening to me talk or anyone else talk nowadays. But it's like you said, it needs to be re reinterpreted yes, for yes. the modern times, right? And, and I'm not so like put off by it that I don't even attempt it. I think there's great value in the knowledge that we have, even whatever fragmented knowledge we have. And I've seen it serve a great purpose in so many people's lives, including my own. So I'm not saying we're ridiculous. I think there's great knowledge here, and I think it's extremely useful. But I think it's good to approach this science with um, a certain degree of humility. 100%. And, and it's powerful. Yep. That too, right? Like great responsibility as well. Yeah, but, stars. but in the sense too of maybe not getting too fixed and rigid in our interpretations, I think it's just really good to, to look at the evidence and if you can see something that works repeatedly over and over and over and over, then you may have something there. But there's a lot of fluff astrology out there and I think that's what I'm, sure. I'm really trying to cut through. Maybe that's why it's pushed me so much in the empirical dimension because mm. I there's, you know, and look, I, the, the culture, I think, is taking a turn toward astrology. I think we're at the point now where um, it's, it's beginning. Yeah, it's kind of like yoga was however many years yeah. ago, and it's kind of like starting to become a fad. Mm -hmm. But that's a good thing. That's the initial phase where it's kind of catching on. Mm -hmm. I think with that, everyone's trying to grasp onto whatever is like the easiest things to work with. And that's like mm -hmm. the lunar cycle or, you know, a new moon. Oh, it's a full moon today. And people are paying attention to it. But there's a full moon every month. Like uh, that's that's true. I, I I don't think I think people put a lot of importance to things that get overblown in their yes. importance just because it's the yes. little amount of knowledge that people have, 
And again, I'm not saying that those things aren't important. I'm just saying, let's put them in their context. Eclipses are pretty potent and powerful. Okay, yeah, I yes. To ask you. So <laughs> yeah. like in Vedic astrology, is it just as big a deal? Absolutely. I think that's definitely uh, the case. Although I will say, I think I found more knowledge or more material on eclipses in the Western tradition than I have in the Vedic. I haven't found a lot of texts that talk about eclipses per <laughs> se, even natally too. Like what does it mean when you're born on an eclipse? Like my so, wife. So so is Donald you Trump. You were born on an eclipse? Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, wow. Eclipses have gained a name of like a kind of a bad omen, you know. Yeah. I think mm -hmm. for the most part they foretell Because they're unique. Some, they're different. Some big you're, changes you're to used come to and a particular rotation of the moon and when all of a sudden something's like yeah. Booyah, you're like like I said, the nodes are treated as malefics in the Vedic system, and so you've got the malefics conjunct both of the luminaries if you're born on an eclipse. Mm. So that may be where the, the Indian tradition says, uh-uh, this one's going to be rough. And, and I do think there is something rough about the lifetime of anyone who's born on an eclipse. I think it's deeply transformational. Like a square? Like, or, like a grand cross? Like a grand square, maybe? I think that would be a really close similarity, absolutely. Because those are tough. Yeah. So you can interpret the, the south node conjunct the moon, or south node conjunct the sun in and of itself, and the north node conjunct one of the two. And then uh, Vedic-wise, there's a certain interpretation for that as well. So you can kind of piece it apart, and you can look at it individually. And so that's one way that people approach what does it mean to be born on an eclipse. It's not, one way to think of it is kind of like the sun. It represents the identity and the, the sort of selfhoodness and one's direction. And I think when you have the north node conjunct the sun, I mean, from the Western perspective, we were just talking about this last night, you're given a lot to kind of foster your confidence and grow your confidence and give you more direction and own your identity in this lifetime. And you tend to mix and mingle with important people, opportunities land in your lap, and you're, it's as if the, the whole universe, the north, the north node, is conjunct the sun. It's as if the, the whole universe is just trying to like give you enough so that you can be your own person and stand on your own two feet and own your authentic identity. I think I have the North Node sextile my son. I think it's different than a conjunction, yeah. without a doubt. That would indicate maybe that there's definitely opportunities to shine and that you'd have some sort of universal conflict? support. This is my well, with the Chiron conjunct sun, yeah, you've got definitely a, like a division really there. Confusing. But that seems to be an area that's a sensitive point for you, and that you're now given, I think, a little bit of encouragement to go in that direction to outgrow that wound. Do you use orbs in Vedic astrology? Like, what's the orb for a conjunction in Vedic? Yes and no. I think because I have a Western background. Mm. I know how important it can be when planets are extremely close as opposed to wide orbs. Mm -hmm. But traditionally in Vedic astrology, they don't really use okay, orbs. Yeah. In fact, you'll often see Vedic charts cast without the degrees even listed. Yeah. You know, this is another area where I'm testing. I'm, I'm trying to see, like, does that really matter? Like, you know, at least when you're interpreting it. Don't mix and mingle the rules here. You know, Western and Vedic have to maintain their integrity, and I can't just, like, mm -hmm. dispense with orbs in the Western and start trying. You're going to get really sloppy. Mm -hmm. But I think there may be some truth with the interpretations. Because, like, Saturn and Mars and Rahu and Ketu, they're all, they're all malefic. And so if Saturn's aspecting a house that contains a planet, perhaps that planet is harmed in some way, even if it's not the kind of tight orb that would be used in Western. I use the Western aspects a lot. I, I don't think those can be dispensed with, and I'm, I feel really in a weird place astrologically because I can't get rid of my Western understanding, and yet I can't, and I can't fully call myself Vedic either, and, and I, it's extremely confusing because then I can't really like be one or the other. 
I think I'm ultimately so so much value in both. Do you know James Braha? Of course. Yeah. 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 Well, he does what you do. He does. It's amazing. When he was one of the ones I was referring to that earlier that doesn't use nakshatras. Yeah, that's who I've done most of my data readings. You now take the information and evolve it. So you're in that liminal space. True, and I think I think maybe like I said, astrology has to be morphed to our time. I think we have to start using what works and interpret the old interpretations, reinterpret them in terms of. Let me give you an example. So one, one of the ones that comes to mind is that you often see like the, the 12th house is a bad house in the Vedic system. It's a house of loss. It's known as a dushtana, or grief producing house, suffering producing house. And um, the other difficult houses are the sixth and the eighth house. So six, eight and 12 are the dushtana houses. And when a person has the fourth house, they call them lords in, in this system, feudal. Um, when the fourth house lord is placed in the 12th house, which is a house of loss. And the fourth house represents the home, right? In the ancient times, I guess the text would have said something like, this person will have to rent out part of their home. And that's not a good thing in ancient times. The person would have to like share their home with somebody else and just to like get by. Today we have Airbnb, we've got Air- yeah. rentals, we've got real thing. estate flipping and all kinds of things where it's actually a really good thing. For some people, mm-hmm. depends, you wanna look at it. Some people may well, end up homeless, but yeah, you know. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah. the system could be based on homeless people. I can, only, I can speak to the way it's played out in my, my chart. I do, right. I have, and this is what I'm bringing up because it's something I'm per, it's personal to me, but fourth lord in the 12th, I have that. And for me, it's Saturn because the, the fourth house is uh, ruled by Aquarius and traditionally Aquarius is ruled by Saturn in this system. By the way, the outer planets are not given like house rulerships or anything like sign rulerships or anything like that. So really? I was gonna ask like what if you use outer use planets, like Pisces. if you Jupiter rules Pisces, yeah. Look at mm-hmm. outer planets as a Vedic astrologer. I do. Mainly and Vedic astrologers. People call themselves neo Vedic astrologers when they use the outer planets nice. typically. That's another one. That, um, Should we identify what the outer planets are for all the um, non-star talkers transpersonal planets are neptune uranus and pluto yep and then you can use chiron and beyond as you Mm -hmm. just spoke of earlier i don't think you can include those in the traditional rules of interpretation for the vedic system um there's a very nice succinct system that they have created uh where you know like so cancer and leo are next to each other sun and moon they each rule one sign and then the next two out gemini and virgo i'm going kind of outer ring it's mercury and then Scorpio and Mars, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Libra and uh, Taurus are ruled by Venus. Oh my God. Mars and Scorpio is ruled by, Ma- uh, sorry, Scorpio oh and Aries, Mars, God. Jupiter, Pisces, and Sagittarius. And then the last and final two would be right next to each other, which is Saturn, Aquarius, and Capricorn. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I know. So there's this kind of sym- symmetry to the system, and I think there's a reason why they put it that way, and it does seem to really work. Oh my God, I yeah. never know. Because I've read that yeah. Jupiter rules Pisces somewhere, you know, but I didn't really fully understand it. But yeah, that's just the traditional way. Yeah. So that that's um, I don't use the outer planets in rulership, but I I often I mean I obviously take note when they're landing on angles in a person's chart. I mean, if a person has, you know, Neptune on their ascendant or something, I'm not going to just like ignore that. That's a huge, huge, important influence. So. Mm-hmm. The outer planets are really important. I just, I know they work. I'm absolutely 100% confident. I can say with, uh, with no hesitation that outer yeah, planets have their effect, yeah. Yeah. especially in transit too. And, and of course, mm-hmm. if they're conjunct angles in the chart, anything, any tight aspect with an outer planet is, is I've seen time and time again, they're just so accurate. I have a sun, Neptune, mutual aspect. That can be hard. 
<clears throat> I'd love to yeah, see more of your chart. People love to yeah. talk shit on it, and I hate it. <laughs> but you're, you're I feel it for sure. Like lost? Do you feel kind of like directionless? Yeah. People like to say that I'm, um, uh, I guess so. A dreamer? <laughs> dreamer, yeah, like we're sympathizers. We kind of like lose ourselves in the crowd kind of thing, a little directionless. Mm. And we're like always like adjusting to like the people around us. Yeah, that's a really imp- that's empathetic. Em- yes, yeah, empath. But, but to it's the to the point, point of, of like, detriment. Like you dissolve yeah. yourself. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's a, that's it's, like Pi- it's like Pisces gone wrong a little bit. Like there's yeah. a little bit of the, the negative play out of t- Piscean tendencies. Martyr-like, or it could be that you have weak boundaries, or it could be that you don't see yourself clearly, or that you're self-sacrificial, or that you're overly compassionate and helpful, or all those things. Do you have a, do you have Venus and Pisces. That, oh, okay. like, the yeah. dad was sort of somewhat absent. I was going to ask you. And that's like... So if I put in That's your Vedic true. chart, I'd probably also see afflictions to your ninth house or the sun in that chart. I have Venus in the ninth house mm-hmm. in opposition to Saturn. Saturn aspects the ninth? Yeah, but Saturn's in my second house. <clears throat> but it's because Venus, so in my western chart, Venus is at 26 degrees of Taurus. And is Saturn is like oh, is two easy. degrees of Scorpio or something. The visual. Yeah, and I, I have Moon with Neptune together. So I guess I have a lot of Neptunian influence on me. So that's Neptune why I can go good or you know good or bad. I think I that's like why I like Pisces people. I can relate. Can relate yeah. yeah. S- seeing your chart, I mean, just the Western chart alone would show that the father might not be in the lifetime, just because you've got Neptune opposite Sun and Neptune in the fourth. I've seen time and time again removes the father. Matthew has that too, and his dad died at like twenty-eight. Mm-hmm. Really? I have. Yep. Neptune, Neptune in the fourth. Huh. Father wasn't there. It's it's I've seen it in at least ten to fifteen charts, and uh, it's it's been accurate. I'm not saying every single person with Neptune there. I'm, there can be other manifestations of it, and you want to see it. That's compelling data. The general way to interpret charts. I mean, I've been taught this by James Braha from early on. Like he just basically said, you know, rules in astrology. Number one, you see it once, it's possible. See it twice, it's probable. See it three times, mm. you can bet on it. Mm-hmm. So in other words, if you see three different indicators that are all saying the same sort of thing, then you can start to put together confidence, mm-hmm. and that's I think a good rule of thumb. You see one thing and. I'm not going to be like, your dad wasn't there. I hesitated when you said Neptune's son, and I was thinking, dad's not there, dad's not there, possible. Yeah. But I've only got one indicator so far, so I'm going to wait and collect no, two more. Two. When I saw Neptune in the fourth, I've got two, it's probable. And then I personally would go and I would look at the Vedic system now, and that would be my confirmation. And, once mm. I've, and I'd probably look for two or three in the Vedic chart, because the thing that the Vedic system is really cool about is it has subdivision charts. They're called divisional charts. Mm. And... Um, that means they divide the entire horoscope even. They, have, they love this kind of divide it again and divide yeah. it again and spin it around and like, yeah. I went and through a Navamsha chart the Navamsha. for a little bit. Okay. Still trying to figure it out, but yeah. Yeah, the Navamsha is the D9, the, the ninth divisional chart, and they use that as almost a secondary chart for the entire natal chart. It's like you're kind of the looking under the hood to see what's really going on just in the natal chart. There's a chart for parents, there's a chart for kids, there's a chart for career and, and so forth. So. When I look for a double confirmation or a triple confirmation, I go to the divisional chart concerning that area of life, and then I go and I see what's going on in the in that particular chart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a chart for parents, there's a chart for father, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I would definitely go look. How many divisional charts are there? Um, I know they go up to sixty, but I don't know. Whoa. 
I think there's there's maybe more than that, and I don't think they're on every number. If I'm not mistaken, I think they the, the fraction doesn't come out right to divide like a, to divide a dividend of so so many um, numbers. So there's rationals. certain num- yeah something like that. But there's a lot. There's a ton. Vedic astrology is so crazy like that. Yeah. Space cord. Space cord. We encourage you to contact Vedic astrologer Seth Cassidy with further inquiries or requests for personal readings. Please email Seth Cassidy at gmail.com.